that plan? Whoa, Williamson up near the top of the square, it seemed to just rip that out of the air. This is Five Point Play, the Don Horn Duke basketball fan podcast. Duke with two wins since we last got together is now 18 and 2, 7 and 1, tied for first in the ACC. Speaking mm-hmm. of AC, AC welcome in. It's pretty cold throughout the country, but nobody was colder than Duke shooting against Georgia Tech. Man, it was pretty bad, right? <laughs> like we it's we we said like I think it was uh against Texas Tech maybe when they shot like twenty percent or something like that from three. We're like, this won't happen again. And then it happened at Syracuse or Duke at, at home against Syracuse and then it happens again against Georgia Tech. It's kinda like it's sort of the theme of this team is that they can't they can't hit, but they they play through it well. So it's it's good to that's good to be able to have a team that can do that. Yeah, I, I told you uh when we last talked that I don't like these noon games. Uh, mm-hmm. on Saturdays, and yep. coincidentally, Coach K actually mentioned after the game that a lot of times those home teams or those Saturday noon games and even the fans, which uh, I think he may have uh, heard our podcast last week, and I <laughs> was hoping that the uh, the fans wouldn't be too hungover. I think he was probably alluding to that, but couldn't come out and say it. The fans <laughs> right. were actually pretty good. They were, they yeah. were, a, lot, they were a lot warmer than, than our team was. I thought we came out uh, last day's pool. Uh, I thought that we uh, weren't mentally there. I thought that uh, we probably came in thinking that we were just going to roll over this team. And while I never actually thought that we would lose the game, I was really disappointed for the first time all year with the overall effort that I was seeing from our guys and, and, and seeing that they were settling for a lot of shots that, that really weren't in rhythm and weren't in the flow uh, of the offense that we've seen all year. What did you see? Yeah, I, th- I think they had a little bit of the uh, kind of the, the Trey Jones hangover there. I think they, I think they just kind of expected Trey to come in and just magically make them better. Whereas, you know, you, you kind of have to work for it based on what he gives you. You still have to work. Like this is, they're still a Division One team. As bad as Georgia Tech is, they're still a Division One team. You have to work for everything that they're going to give you, plus everything you need to earn yourself. It's that early morning game. You don't get much of a shoot around. When it happens, you don't get a chance to kind of do your normal routine. And I think that's sort of what Kay alludes to with that as well. And and just kind of having experienced it, seeing that a little bit, they, they, these guys are so they're so routine based in terms of game day prep. So how long they get to sleep, when they eat, when, when they get to they work. Some of the guys work out before they actually play. Some of the guys get out and get a couple of different shoot arounds in different times a day. Like there's. There's, there is a process that goes into it. It's kind of the same thing you see when, like, Duke plays in one of those, you know, 945 NCAA tournament games at night. It's kind of the same thing. It's just at way outside of your routine. So they came out cold. They absolutely came out cold. It didn't, didn't look good in terms of how they were moving around. Uh, we didn't get as many assists as I thought we would get against, against a team like Georgia Tech with the kind of offense that, or defense that they run. So, you know, it was one of those games that you're going to forget. It'll be a, kind of a, a, a shadow in the in the history of this team and in the annals of this team as we go back and look at what they've done at the end of the year and everything. But got through it, didn't take a loss on it, and, you know, I'll take it. We can move on from that. Yeah, I, I don't think that we're going to shoot 9.5% from three uh, <laughs> no. the rest of the year. But, but, I mean, knock on wood, I don't think that'll happen. <laughs> We've uh, said that before. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. But uh, I, I will say that I, I think that the, the one thing that, uh, was glaring to me uh, in our deficiencies that game. And it was just sloppy. It was sloppy all around. It wasn't uh, very enjoyable to watch. Was one of the things that this team was so great at is getting out in transition. 
Well, we even sucked in that category. We were terrible yeah. getting out in transition. We didn't finish. We didn't draw fouls. We didn't. I mean, like the only thing we did well really was shoot our free throws. Right. Um. You know, which is you know that's a consistency issue for us as it always is. Yep. Um. It's just I don't. I, yeah. I I don't think you can take anything from this game other than it was nice to play as bad as you can play most likely for two thirds, three fourths of the game and still come out with a double digit win and you got Trey Jones back. Right. Yeah, I think getting him back in was that was pretty key, and he played. You know, he played the full game, played a full thirty-five minutes, basically sat five minutes of the game. Kind of that's kind of par for the course all season. He's been averaging about thirty minutes a game. So, I mean, and in big games, he's close to that 40, 40 minute mark. So, I think he's you know, obviously we're squarely back in, in Trey Jones territory. So it's good. Yeah, and uh, you know, quick shout out before we wrap this one up. There's just not really a whole lot you can talk about this game, though. So, um, you know, shout out to to RJ. He actually started off quite poor in this game, shooting poorly, and, you know, still somehow manages to go 8-16 uh, with 24 and 11. And then, you know, Zion just continuing to do Zion things, 9 of 12, efficient, 22 and 7. And, uh, you know, the only scare there was Marquise Bolden. Uh, right. A little bit of a toe issue there, but obviously we saw last night that he came back against Notre Dame, so it sounds like he's fine. Yeah, I think he had an ingrown toenails, I believe, what they mentioned last night during the Notre Dame game, so... Yeah, yeah. Go get a go get a pedicure, please. Yeah, <laughs> get, get yourself get yourself taken care of there. We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll be in good shape. Uh, he's played great. We'll talk about him a little bit. Mm-hmm. Let's switch gears to to our second topic. Next play. We, we can't completely ignore the nine and a half percent because uh, ESPN and more importantly, your boy Seth Greenberg will not let us actually completely <laughs> dismiss it. I've now heard him. Time after time, talk about Duke's lack of three-point shooting, lack of consistent three-point mm-hmm. shooting, and just our overall poor shooting numbers uh, from deep. It's very unlikely Duke team, but it's now been you know brought up so many times that we you have to address it. Is it a concern? Sure, sure, it is a concern. Is it right. one of the top concerns that I have with this team? Not really, not in my mind. You know, it, to me, it's it's quite ironic because for mm-hmm. years um we were the team that was labeled living by the three and dying by the three and it was i mean for more or less it kind of is true if jj's not on we're probably going to have a pretty good chance of losing you know right. some of those teams you know for uh shire became shire you know those teams with, with gerald and, and kyle when they're a little bit younger if they didn't make a ton of threes they were they were susceptible to getting beat. Mm-hmm. And that's just kind of how we were built. Uh, but now we're built where we can beat you in a number of different ways. You know, the knocks on Duke in the past were, yes, living by the three, dying by the three. Uh, we don't have a point guard. Well, that's not an issue. We don't have right. a true bit. Well, that's not an issue. Playing poor defense, that doesn't apply either. And what I've said on this podcast, and I'll continue to harp on it throughout the season, is it's nice to have a team that even when you're not shooting well can still win games. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we brought up the Syracuse game a couple weeks ago where we shot 9 of 43, and I verbatimly said you cannot shoot 9 of 43 and expect to win. It right. wasn't so much the percentage as much as that 43 shots, that means you're taking a lot of poor shots. It means sure. that you're, you're taking shots that the defense wants you to take, and they're baiting you to take. You mm-hmm. saw the complete opposite when we played Virginia. 
we still shot up a very poor percentage, but we weren't settling for threes. We weren't playing within the framework of our offense. What do you see? Is this a big concern to you? What do the stats tell us? So, you know, you just you kind of look at it. On on the surface, it looks like, yeah, we're we're just a terrible shooting team. We don't shoot well in general, don't definitely don't shoot well in Cameron. Uh have shot better on the road and even in some neutral sites, things like that. But the the one thing this team does so well. We create turnovers to get in transition, so our two-point percentage is way up. I mean, we're, we're six, over 60% in terms of two-point shots. And and then on the other side of that, the flip side of that, because of the amount of steals we get and in the blocks, when, you know, leading the nation in blocks, we we force teams into generally into 30 and, and 25% shooting lights from the floor from two. When, when you can do that type of thing, then everything else takes care of itself. I don't remember what NBA coach it was. I probably date myself. I'm pretty sure. I want to say it's Cotton Fitzsimmons who said it. He used to say points are points. He he didn't he kind of didn't care about where they came from. Points are points, and and that that part is true. I mean, there's been so much made about how the game is changing, and and it's a three point shooters game now. It's a three point shooters game if you can hit threes. That's kind of how it works. Other than that, right. the game hasn't changed. You still get points how you get points, and it's almost like is Duke rewriting this three point shooting basketball league in terms of being a team that just gets twos because you know it's so much has been said for the past five years if you can't hit threes you're not going to win a championship false false that has no you have to get points how can you get points can you get points from the line can you get points from inside you you look at some stats that kind of backs it up first and foremost with this duke team let's just talk about this year when we were in maui this team shot around 37 percent from three so you know we lost to gonzaga by one that was our worst shooting game from three which is it was at 28 percent. okay fine but regardless of that this team still shot well so can you say can you say that in kind of big moments this team can hit some shots I think it's true because then you look at FSU the team shot 46 percent from three again another big game big game on the road the team shot very well from three-point line the only two games really where we're playing ranked type teams where the team didn't shoot well was UVA at 14 percent and Texas Tech at 15 percent still won those games because we were still highly effective from two and our defense was was pretty effective as well against Texas Tech. UVA, the game plan was let them let them hit twos with us, and we'll still win the game, which was true. One extra possession basically won that game. So you you kind of look at that from the Duke standpoint in this season. You know that it it kind of totally erases that thought process that this team can't hit shots when it matters. No, this team is not going to be Belmont or one of those other teams that's historically in the top ten in the NCAA shooting forty two percent from three. But as you mentioned, live by the three, die by the three. You're taking a high risk, high reward type shot, but it's still a high risk shot. Whereas this team is taking those low risk buckets. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And you know, it's funny each year hearing about you know what did this Duke team then? You know, last year it was. If you ask 10 different people, you're going to get 10 different answers. You know, my own personal opinion of why we lost the game was because we gave up way too many offensive rebounds to Kansas. You know, we had that game mm-hmm. one. You know, you have one roll here, one roll there, one, you know, easy put back, and you win the game. Uh, if you ask another guy, it was, you know, that we shot three ball poorly. You know, Grayson and Gary were our only two real three-point threats outside of a little bit of Alex last year. But to me, that's not why we lost the game. I don't mm-hmm. think we settled for a bunch of threes. Now, on the other side of that, you know, let's talk about the NCAA tournament. Historically, mm-hmm. we we have said this ad nauseum that it's a one-and-done tournament. You know, right. one hot shooting night can win you a game. I can't imagine that there's going to be a team that has six straight hot shooting nights, and that's the reason that they win. 
you know, historically, what are the numbers? What is, is there any correlation of if you're a really good, you know, top 10 three-point shooting team throughout the season, whether it be nationally or, or conference-wise, you know, in the top 10% of percentile in, in the conference, mm-hmm. does that actually correlate to having long-term success within the tournament? Funny you should say that. The answer, quite frankly, is no. So, yeah, I did a little digging on this one. So you go back in history. Let's let's just start right off the bat. Let's start with the last team to win the NCAA title and be top, just top ten. Let's even look at top ten because you know what are we considering? What are we considering? You know, highly effective as a three-point shooting team. So let's just go straight to the top ten because people love top ten lists. UConn in 2003-2004 was the last team to be in the top ten in three-point shooting percentage and win the NCAA tournament. Let's look at a Duke team that everybody you know can kind of considers just you know such a bad over, underachieving team. Let's talk about 2013-2014. That team was number seven in the nation in three-point shooting percentage. And even against Mercer, they shot 40% from three. I, I think if you said that Duke would shoot 40, 40% from three and win a game, just about anybody would take that. It's And it, you, you keep going. Let's keep digging. Let's look at when UNC won the title in uh, 2015. They shot, when they beat Gonzaga, they shot 14% from three. When Connecticut beat Butler... Uh, they they shot nine percent from three, kind of like Duke shooting at nine percent the other night. So you know, and I, I can keep going. There's so many so many examples of of teams that just you don't you don't shoot well in a championship game. You get to that championship game, you don't shoot well. Quite honestly, doing that research, I found that the national semifinal game is the one where the teams that win that semifinal generally shoot a little better from three, but it's it's not enough to even be significant. You know, you go look at significant data, it's not enough. And and so what does that mean, like? We, we that's just a surface stat the same thing i could sit here and say there are plenty of teams that make the final four and win the championship that finish in the top 20 top 10 even and field goal percentage defense but that only tells again that only tells a part of the story how are you playing that night how many pros do you have on your team like it's there's so many things about it man this the, the talent factor is huge the chemistry factor is huge age and youth anymore in this day and age has not been yeah it, it hasn't been a youth versus age thing because you've had two types of teams winning and titles and advancing the title games. So it, it it can't, this can't be told in one story. And that's why I'm so sick of seeing the analysts and, and, you know, couch fans saying that this one stat, this one glaring weakness of this Duke team is enough to keep them out, out of advancing in the NCAA tournament or advancing at least to where they should be, which is the national championship game. We say it, uh, we've probably said it on four different podcasts now. Last year's team was a roll away from making it to the Final Four by beating that Kansas squad. And again, we were sorely out-rebounded that game. So you can't just point at rebounding as a poor stat. It's, uh, there's just so much, man. It's, it's play after play. The NCAA title or NCAA tournament is a play-by-play game. That's, that's how you play it. You have six games to make an impact each game 40 minutes and can can you be better than the other team that's what it boils down to is is your talent better than theirs is your scheme better than theirs and this team if if things this is what i love so much about this team if things are breaking down with this duke team they have so many other options to go to if we aren't shooting well we get inside if we can't get inside there's a chance we're going to shoot well we're going to rebound well because we have the athletes to do it our guards have been spectacular in rebounding lately we're going to get assists. We're going to create turnovers because Trey Jones is so good up top. And then you add in how long Cam Reddish is and how active he is. It's just, there's so many, there's so many stats and things that say this Duke team will be just fine. And 
without just looking at the stats, you can look at them and they pass the look test. How often do we talk about that with teams? This just looks like a team that's going to advance in the tournament and should have a shot at winning the championship game. And unless they play, you know, unless unless we play a, a Florida Gulf Coast team that is just and for one night doesn't miss a shot and beats us, I don't see how or why anybody should beat the squad. We can play that game yeah. all day long. This is how we should do it. But everybody's going to have to adjust to Duke. We don't have to adjust to anybody else. They're going to have to adjust to us. That's how it goes. Right. You know, you, again, if you you can't let one hot shooting night define your entire season. So exactly. heaven forbid, you know, we're in the Sleeshix team and we play, you know, Texas or somebody and they go and shoot, you know, 18 of, you know, 24 from three and we lose mm-hmm. by – and that's the thing. They just shoot 18 to 24 from three, and we probably lose by like five points. Right. And, you know, people are, you know, talking about how the season was a failure. But, you know, I will, I will end this one that, like you said, we have a lot of different ways to win this year. So, you know, a lot of different things can happen. But I will say the same thing about this team as I said in 2014, 2015. And I think about it all the time with this team. But even stronger feelings for this squad than that team in 2014-15. Doesn't mean the same thing's going to happen, but I felt then, like I do now, which is, if this team is playing at their best, there is not another team in the country that will beat us. Absolutely. I felt that that even when, you know, Kentucky was 38-0 in 2014-2015. I felt if we were playing our best, nobody was going to beat us. Absolutely. If, If Duke is shooting like they did against Notre Dame, and we'll get to that next, nobody's going to beat this team. No. So that's the thing, is that Duke in other years past could still shoot very well and still be beaten. Right. If Duke's shooting the three well, it's over. It doesn't matter who we're playing, that's it. So don't let us get hot, is all I, is all I Exactly. I mean, the fair example is that Kentucky game. Everything clicked in that Kentucky game, and you saw the result of that. And and clearly you see that Kentucky now, obviously it's a little bit of a different team, but they you knew back then that they weren't that bad. So it was that was a question of is Kentucky that bad or is Duke that good? Well, I think the answer is, and we know it now, is if, if Duke is hitting on all cylinders, they're that good. So don't yeah, like you said, don't let Duke hit on all cylinders in the tournament because it won't even be a fun game to watch for anybody else other than us. Yeah, it'll it'll be a fun game for the uh, the five point <laughs> yeah. play podcast uh, listeners to watch. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but- but let's move on to the last night's game, the Notre Dame uh, fighting Irish, who were shorthanded but well coached by Mike Bray. This one, you know, talk about what we just said. You know, we got hot early, and we just blew the doors off and right out of the gate. Yeah, that that was again. Let's 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 just let this team pass another test because it was well. Notre Dame is going to go zone. That's going to hurt Duke because they're not a good shooting team. Well, go ahead, go zone. Go ahead, do what you do what you do. Every other team, you do what you do and and force Duke to play your style and see what happens. It's just it's 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 getting it's I don't I mean, at the risk of sounding cocky, it's getting comical at this point how many tests this Duke team has to pass before people realize that they're just damn good. It's 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 almost getting frustrating, man. Like like I, can, I just I, I feel hear, like I'm giving like talks all the time. I am, man. Like, <laughs> like I just I feel like I'm like having to give pep talks all the time because it's just when when you're a team that's so good, everybody else has to play to you. So like DJ Harvey, John Mooney, and and TJ Gibbs aren't going to give Duke a problem if Duke is doing what they're supposed to do. And even if they're not doing what they're supposed to do all the time, they're still going to be better than them. It's just this team is so much better. And and when we go back and look at at, at the history of this whole thing. 
we're going to be able to sit back and realize how lucky we were as fans to be able to watch this squad play. I mean, last night you had you had Zion just going, you know, insane. There was nothing they could do about it. Yeah, it, it got to the point where you know Mooney and the other guys were were trying to do everything they could to stop him, uh, all the way up to 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 him following out of following him out of bounds to try to try to intimidate him. Yeah, which what, I, what was he th- <laughs> what was he thinking there? I mean, seriously, I don't think what, he did, was? What, did, what did he what did he think he was going to do? There's... You know, you're fighting the, the biggest strongest guy, who yeah. by the way wasn't it wasn't a dirty foul, and you know you also traveled on the plate. What what what, did you, what was the best case scenario there? Poor Moody. What did you think was going to happen? I maybe he felt like you. I I don't know. I, I quite honestly, I don't. I don't think he was thinking. And I think if he looks back at it, he would have said the same thing. The, there's a funny uh, the Eddie Murphy skit from his his raw stand up special where he says he he says my courage came out and was like hit that man and he's like my head was like hey wait a minute <laughs> it's like because that's I think that's what happened with Mooney because you saw him realize once he took about three steps out of bounds he kind of put his head down and turned around I think he. I think he realized he was like, okay, yeah. I'm I sorry. Won- I wonder if he didn't realize that it was Zion that that found him. Like maybe he thought it was somebody else. Maybe he thought it was Alex. Yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> that's the only thing I can think of. I mean, to give the guy the benefit yeah. of the doubt, that's the only thing I can think of because other than that, it was just quite laughable. Uh, his head was definitely not in the right place there. I think his his heart meant well, but his his head was not. No. His head was not. They didn't match up on that one. But uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, either way, uh, speaking of big guys, uh, another big game for for Quise. Oh yeah, that guy just that guy just continues to get better. And while yeah, it doesn't always show in the stat sheet, it did in this game. You mm-hmm. know, Bony gave us 21 minutes. He got called for. I, I want to say this right now. He got called for four fouls, and I'm not sure any of them were actually legit fouls. And but yeah, you know that's yeah. neither here. That's neither here nor there. But <laughs> he had 8.7 boards, a couple blocks. He mm-hmm. does such a great job defensively, whether it is switching out on the smaller guards, right. staying with them, and making life difficult for them at the rim. He changes and alters a lot of shots that he you know, doesn't block. When he does, when he is right there in position, he does mm-hmm. get the block. He allows us to get out in transition a lot easier because you can count on his rim protection as a pure post player that we haven't had before in the last right. few years, really. Uh, as good as Mundell Carter was. Yeah. So I, I feel like, you know, Bolden, as it, he continues to not only get better as a player, but he is only rising in the rankings of who's the most important player on our team outside of the, the usual suspects. I mean, that guy is really important to do the success that we're going to have this year. Mm-hmm. One one thing I love seeing uh, with, with Queese, and it's it's one of those kind of, you you don't pay attention to it. You see it, you don't think about it, and you don't pay attention to it. But then when you look back, and you know, we, for doing this podcast is great, just from kind of a fan standpoint, because sometimes I, I I misremember things with games. But it's it's amazing to me how many shots he alters, and you you just kind of it's a cliche, and you just kind of say he alters shots. But then you look at it. I don't know how often guards and you know and midsize forwards have to take. 12 foot layups over top of Queese because not only is he so tall, you know, near seven footer, but he gets off the ground and he gets off the ground quickly. And yeah, yeah. his verticality is highly underrated. He gets so vertical, his arms are straight up in the air. He doesn't get his fouls there. He gets his fouls near the ground on these weird phantom calls that he gets a lot. But, and, and usually it's on a hustle play that he gets them. 
But oh, right. th- these guys, it's it's almost like the drill that a lot of coaches do where they have a broomstick and they put the broomstick straight up in the air because the coach can't jump anymore. And and the guy has to take a shot over the broomstick. Quis is doing that in game. He's he's forcing guys to shoot over top of the broomstick in games. And it's it's crazy. Like next time you know watch a game, just watch how often he does that and, and how many shots he alters in that way. It's 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 insane, man. I love to see it. It's it's a thing that we haven't had for Duke in a very like you said, a very, very long time. Yeah, Wendell, he was a good shot blocker. His was kind of based on timing. It wasn't just that, you know, that superb length that that Queese offers. Yeah, no, it, it's been fun to watch. And the one thing I took out of uh, the Notre Dame game from watching him specifically is mm-hmm. just how difficult it is for guards to shoot over him at the mm-hmm. lane. And it just gives us uh, that much – it makes us that much more potent to get out in transition, which, again, to me, is, is where we're at our best. Uh, a couple of other shout-outs. You know, Zion was just unbelievable. I mean, he was 10 of 12 for, for 26. He uh, Did he have a dunk last night? I don't think he – I think in the beginning of the game, he had, like, that little, like, putback that was almost a dunk, but he kind of dropped it in instead. Yeah, he kind of dropped it in. I don't think he had dunk. Yeah. I mean, so nope. that uh, – that's He's more than a dunker, as he says. He, well, he must be regressing. Uh, he must. He must oh be yeah, regressing. yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, that's the only way to spin that one. But uh, I, I did like how uh, obviously he played phenomenal. Mm-hmm. He had a a goaltend that uh, only he's going to get that call. Him and LeBron are going to be the only two guys to right. get the call for that being a block. Uh, it was it was <laughs> unbelievable. Um, and then you know I thought Alex, you know, gave you know he didn't play a lot, but he you know came in. It was nice to see him knock down a couple threes. Right. And obviously, I think more importantly, it was nice to see Cam get a couple looks go his way and, and knock a few down. And even the ones that he missed, I thought were right on. He had that one that, that rolled out uh, in the second half that, you know, was halfway down. You know, just and, – and they actually did. I don't know if you noticed this this week, uh, but all through social media, Duke, to me, I, I kind of picked up on the fact that they're really trying to to encourage Pam. You know, the, they the hashtag Pam fam. Yep. You know, what – I mean, I understand from my perspective, you know, as a fan, that, you know, you want to get the guy going. What, is, is there more to it than, you know, just, you know, hey, we're with you, buddy? I mean, that's what it boils down to, but it's 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 the little things because, you, you know, these guys pay attention to that. You know that they, you know, they pay attention to, especially this day and age, they pay attention to a couple of things. They they look at the comments on their on their Instagram and Twitter pages. They they look at they look at everything that's that's being said about them. And as much of as you can say it as a coach, like, hey, you're good, you're good, you're good. They're still going to see these comments. These these kids, the the scrutiny these guys are under is just immense. And I, I don't think that that is appreciated enough. How you know, just if you if you went to your job every day and two million to three million people commented on how well or how poorly you did your job everywhere, how would you feel? You know what I mean? So it's it, it's tough. This this the life that they lead is is not an easy one. And you know, we can say they choose to play this game all we want, but it's not an easy one, and it's 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 an adjustment period for somebody coming straight from high school to be able to deal with this. They're more prepared than they've ever been because high school players now are all over media as well, and it's it's a national phenomenon in high school basketball more so than it's ever been ever has been. So I, I think that's Duke's way of not only saying, "Hey, Cam, we're you know we're we're putting your name out there still, and and the fans love you," but it's also you know nothing goes through you know, these, these pages without K knowing about it. Yeah. Dave, Dave is an extension of K when it comes to what they put out on, on media. So if, if K's putting something out or if Dave is putting something out, you know, K has approved it. And to Cam, I think that says, and K can't say it enough in practice, but Hey man, I don't care if you're missing or not, you're playing. And that's why he hasn't been supplanted in the lineup or anything either. I mean, he's not being 
subbed out for Jack. He's not being subbed out for Alex. He He's remaining a starter, and it's because he's doing so well with the other things on the floor. He's not letting his poor shooting affect the other parts of his game. So the trust is always going to be there from K for him to be able to do what he does because that that's the part of it. If, if you can do everything else and still help your team, I'm going to let you shoot 15 times if you've only hit two. I'm going to keep letting you have the green light because we need you. And I think that's that's a big sign. That's a big positive sign from the program. Hey, Cam, we need you. Yeah, we do need him. And I think we, we've seen that throughout the year. I think that there is a couple things. Uh, one, you're correct. It hasn't affected his defense. Uh, his defense has been fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen, even though he still gets himself into a little bit of trouble when he drives, he has cleaned that up from the you know the beginning of the year toward um, and even you know when we were playing against Texas Tech and when he had just a horrific uh, first half, he right. came back. He doesn't let him. He lets it affect him, but he still is able to be cognizant of what is important, and that's you know not letting a poor shooting night uh, or a couple turnovers um, help the team to win. And right. Case said it after the game last night that you know all of those guys are playing for the four letters on the front of their chest, and you can see it. Mm-hmm. They are clearly invested in this year and and we know that we're always going to have them for this year right but they are all invested in in that this could have also been a message again for other you know bandwagon fans or whatever however they want to call themselves duke fans um you know don't go after one of your own you know don't go after one of your own uh for missing shots if you want to go after people for um you know or if you want to critique their game uh, that's one thing, but, you know, and I, like for instance, you know, I'll critique the fact that I think we sometimes take bad shots. You know, I thought that mm-hmm. uh, last oh, yeah. night, RJ started out so, so well and so efficient and he started getting, getting a little bit of a heat check for him there, but then he, you know, in the second half and kind of at the end of the first half, he was taking a few shots that, that they just weren't good shots. And right. even Jay Billis, you know, noted it during the telecast. You know, it's, you know, it's one thing, like we're, we're still giving you the green light, you know, it's, hunt your shot do you mm-hmm. but let, let's also make sure that we're taking good shots and uh oftentimes especially in the georgia tech game you fall into a pattern of you know not taking the shots within rhythm uh not taking shots within the the flow of the offense and that could be that could be a concern uh, of this team again that's kind of nitpicking but you know cam is important but let's talk in our next segment who are the three most important players mm. on this Duke team? We came in, we kind of, you know, did a, did a list of, uh, you know, ranking all the guys, you know, one through nine, uh, most importantly. But let's, let's focus on your top three. Who do you have right. in your top three? At number three, I would put Zion. And the only reason I would, I would put Zion there is because, well, he's, what he's doing is so, so amazing and, and just, a, you know, a dominant type of thing what he does can be replaced and it can be replaced within this team. Not necessarily saying that we'd have to recruit somebody else or anything like that within this team, what he's doing can be replaced. Somebody else can hit two point shots. Something, you know, somebody else can rebound. He just, he gets after it so much that he, he really makes up for a lot of things on this team, but we're not, he's his, what he does is a, a testament and a product to what is given to us by my top two, which is RJ at number two and Trey at number one. I think, I think RJ at number two, we haven't, We've played without Trey now. We've played without Cam now. We've played without Zion now. We have not played without RJ yet, and I, you know, I don't want to see a Duke game without RJ Barrett in it, um, be it injury or foul trouble, because 
number one, I just love seeing a kid play so much. Number two, he just draws so much attention. And the team's game plan, they know. And what, what's he, what he's doing, Kay hasn't stopped it yet. We can, you know, as fans, we say, oh, he needs to take some better shots. He forces it too much. He gets inside the lane so much. But that's a part of the game plan. And, and teams are game planning for that. They know, okay, when R.J. Barrett's coming down the floor, he's coming to the lane. So what do you see? You see four and five guys just smash the lane. But more and more, you're starting to see R.J. smashing into the lane like that and then being able to kick it out and kick it out to open open cutters and open shooters. And the better Duke gets with their shooting and, and the more efficient they get, you know, the, the more and more they can't, they can't collapse down on RJ as much as, as they are now. And that dispels doom because you need, you need two or three guys to stop him because just like Zion, he's, he's completely unstoppable when he wants to be. And, but, but I put Trey at number one simply because we've seen how inefficient we are without Trey Jones on the floor on, on offense. And, and we've seen how efficient we can be even in these, you know, Georgia Tech's not a great example, but you saw how well he moved the ball against Notre Dame and how efficient we are. And then just how, how many steals does he generate on defense? Oh my God. It's, we don't have to play zone with him on the floor. We don't have to change up what we do on defense on the floor. And it just makes everything that Zion and RJ and Cam do that much better because it's just magnified because as soon as they get it in transition, there's nothing you're going to do to stop this team either. And Trey starts those transition buckets with how many steals he generates. So I wish, I wish you either had a stat for a steal assists because he assists so many steals in games, or if if you just had the NBA me- method of measuring a steal, which is if you create the steal, even if you don't corral it, it's your steal. How many would he average a game, man? He'd probably average like seven or eight steals a game, and that's not an exaggeration. So I, I, for that reason alone, I'm putting Trey up at number one, but I, I think RJ is right there almost at 1B, man, because he, it just what he does is just so important. I don't even need to uh, explain my picks now because he just basically did it for me. But, you know, it's, it's funny, uh, when, we, when we both sat down to do this, we both had the same, I think everybody would probably have the same three, uh, mm-hmm. but we both had Zion at three. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of crazy because if the season stopped right now, he would be the ACC uh, Rookie of the Year, he'd be the ACC Player of the Year, he'd be the National Freshman of the Year, and he'd be the National Player of the Year, and right. in the conversation for National Defensive Player of the Year. Oh, yeah. Um, and we have him listed number three, and it, like you said, it's not because um, of of his talent or because of anything other than how this Duke team is structured. And right. I, I will I will I will say this about Zion: uh, when your best player, and I do think he right now is the best player on this team. Mm-hmm. Um, I've I've said in past podcasts that it was RJ that's the best player, and and you know, spoiler alert, he is my number one for all those reasons that you mentioned, but. When Zion, talking about Zion, when your best player is also the guy who works the hardest, uh, plays the hardest, that's an unbelievable thing for your team. Absolutely. And while, while he's only a freshman, he's kind of becoming that leader of this team for, for, for those reasons. You know, he's getting mm-hmm. all the headlines, but yet he does a great job of bringing it and, and surrounding his teammates with all of that, you know, deflecting to them. He does it pretty much after every post-game interview that he does. Right. Um, so for those reasons, he is extremely important. And I, I almost want to say it's 1A, 1B, 1C, um, <laughs> right. you know, for, for, for how these three guys are. But the reason I went uh, Trey at two and then RJ at one, you know, all the reasons that you just mentioned for Trey are, are important. And one thing to add, you know, I, I still can't believe 
that Trey is not in the, the national defensive, defensive player of the year argument. Um, I, I, I would have to imagine that changes, but, you know, that's whatever. But right. one of the things that makes him great defensively is that he doesn't turn the ball over either. That's right. part of it. You know, he doesn't give up easy baskets to the opposition. So that's part of, of how mm-hmm. great he is defensively. But again, again, for all the reasons that you mentioned, I went with R.J. Barrett. Uh, nice. We haven't we haven't uh, yeah. seen this Duke team without him. I hope that we don't have to. He just draws so much attention from the opposition, both coming in with their game plan, and then you see it naturally when he when he has the ball. Uh, against Virginia, we don't win that game without RJ, and and we probably don't win it without uh, Zion. But I, I have to imagine that with Trey and Zion out there, we don't win that game. Right, and that's not a slight of either of those two guys. It just goes to show you how good of a player and how versatile of a player RJ actually is. Mm-hmm. You know, he can spread the defense and knock down the threes. He's consistently getting better shooting the ball. Yeah, he might get a little trigger happy uh, at certain times, like he did against Notre Dame. You know, a couple of the heat checks there, but that's okay. I can live with that. I can live with that with all the things that he does for this team, and he does everything for this team. He rebounds. Right. He handles the ball. Uh, he can play up top on on that zone when Trey is out. He can play down low. He can guard one through four, probably guard one through five if he needed to, which is great for this team because this team switches everything, and it shows the versatility that we have. I will say that you know the one reason I have him above Zion is that you know when we saw in the second half against Florida State, Cam. Uh, who I actually had listed as my number five most important player. If any of those guys went down one through three, I almost think that Pam would leapfrog into one or two. Absolutely. Uh, being important in this team because of what he brings. However, I believe that if RJ went down, I'm not sure that that applies because right. nobody can do, nobody on this team and potentially nobody in the country can do what RJ does consistently. Right. And that's all facets of the game. And that's why coming into this season, he was projected to be, you know, the number one pick. And he still might be, but I, I can't see that happening now. But that's again for another time. But I, I do believe that, that RJ is our most important. I hope that we don't ever have to find out um, how, exactly. how important that is. So, but I, when, did, uh, when did RJ become, when did he become your number one? Uh, he became my number one uh, about, uh, three hours ago when we were deciding this. Um, <laughs> I originally had, uh, honestly, God, I, I had all three of these guys in uh, different orders throughout the day. Mm-hmm. And it, it kind of came to me that, you know, because originally I had Zion 1, uh, Trey 2, RJ 3, and then I moved yeah. Trey and, and, and RJ. It was it's just all over the place, which which is a great blessing to have uh, mm-hmm. as, as Duke fans, let's be honest. But uh, I guess what it came down to me is I started envisioning a doomsday scenario, what this team would look like, what would we be able to achieve ultimately if one of those guys was not there? Right. Uh, and as horrific as it is for any of it to, to not be there, I felt like uh, with RJ, uh, he was the one guy that we can't live without. Yeah. And that's kind of why, why I went with him for number one. Okay. All right. But um, I, I will say, I, I alluded, it, alluded to it, um, Bowden was actually my number four. He's and mine too. I, <laughs> I mean, I don't know if that's just recency, you know, bias or what, but the way he's been playing and how important he is to 
holding down the fort down low, allowing uh, our other three guys uh, to play on the wings to just do their thing and get out in transition has been unbelievable for this team. Well, yeah, I mean, we've talked about it. We've talked about it throughout the season. What and here's here's what Quiz gives us, and and I think this is why, I think this is why he's also my number uh, my number four, along with you. So, you know, so long. We we've loved what Jack has given us as a six man. We were you know we we were pining for for Javin to kind of do what Jack did and just add that other element of of hustle player off the bench, which I still think he's going to be able to do. But as of late, you see, you know, Quiz has relegated those two to the bench quite a bit actually um, because just because of what he gives us which this team when you play turnover style defense you're going to give up you're going to give up driving lanes you're going to give up passing lanes it is what it is it's how it works you you're saying that we're willing we're so good at this we're willing to take this gamble that we'll be able to create a turnover or create a long shot from you versus you being able to find your offense and find a good a good cut and a good drive against what we do on defense and if you do happen to drive Guess what we have in the back waiting for you? A, a, a seven-foot monster with a seven-six wingspan, who who also has a thirty-five-inch vertical leap. So good luck. That's that's kind of what this team is saying. And and the turnover style of defense is most effective when you have that in the back. And we've seen it on past Duke teams because K hasn't changed. This is not something new for him. He hasn't just discovered this style of defense. This is we played this style of defense when we had Greg Paulus at the point and and Lee Melchioni covering covering the the wings. In, you know, back in two thousand five, two thousand six what a nightmare that was on defense, but we still played the style of defense. We had Sheldon Williams back there to clean things up. So it didn't look as bad until we went and played an LSU squad who can handle it. We, we played this style of defense the following year, you know, when, when it, that team was led by Paulus and McRoberts and, and Demarcus Nelson, we still played that style of defense and, you know, to, to out to that team's dismay. It just, it, we weren't a good, a great team due to that fact. So it's nothing new. It's just that we have the personnel this year to to be able to pull it off. And and because because of a guy like Queese, we thought it was going to come from Jack and Javin, how they started the season out. But more and more every game, it, it has become the, the Queese Bolden show down low. Yeah, and, and give credit to, to Queese. You know, he stuck with it. You know, mm-hmm. after the candidate trip, a lot of folks had uh, – kind of written him off, had resigned yeah. to the fact that he's just not going to be good. And they had him transferring of, after the Canada trip. They, like, people had him transferring man. after Canada, yeah. Um, even Jay Billis, you know, he keeps harping on it during the telecast that, you know, where was this Mark Priest building in Canada? Or I didn't see this happening after watching right. them on the Canada tour. So, again, you said it last week. He keeps proving the doubters wrong. How many guys, how many times do we have to doubt him uh, mm-hmm. before we start buying in? But you can see that uh, I like a couple of the post moves that he made. He, he was yeah. a little bit more decisive than he has been in the past, mm-hmm. uh, even this year. So that's nice to see. Is that him continuing to mature and get better? Hopefully, because if it is, then this Duke team gets that much scarier. Right. You know, it's, it's just it's, it's incredible. I'm just so happy for the kid. I really am. Oh yeah. Um, you know, I hope that it continues. But let's wrap it up here. <laughs> Play. Our predictions for uh, the next two games we got coming up. Another Saturday noon game. This one against St. John's, uh, the last team to yeah. beat Duke as an out-of-conference foe uh, at Cameron. Mike Indoor. Jarvis. So, mm. Yeah, back in 2000. So that, uh, and I actually, I actually still remember watching that game. So um, yeah. let's hope we don't have a repeat of that. Uh, tell us a little <laughs> bit about the Johnnies. <laughs> 
So when you when you talk about St. John's, you you automatically go to Shamari Ponds. That kid is just he's phenomenal. He's he's what everybody talks with 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 John Morant. They're they're such such similar players. It, except for I think uh, I think Shamari Ponds has a little bit more in his bag than than Morant does, and that's saying something because Morant's really good. But Shamari Ponds is just so good. He's going to be tough to deal with on the perimeter. It's going to be fun to watch watch that match up because I'm sure I'm sure Trey Jones starts with him. And and or maybe maybe we see RJ and Cam and or Zion get on him. It was during we kind of didn't talk about it a little bit during that Notre Dame game. It was fun to watch Zion get after uh, Prentice Hub, especially after he you know kind kind of put some crossovers on Jack White, put some crossovers on Alex O'Connell, made the crowd go ooh and ah a little bit on our guys. You saw Zion. He he looked at the rest of the team and said, "I got him." And then there was a play in there where he just you know just absolutely shut Prentice Hub down and then threw his shot after he forced something up and I mean, hub wasn't the same after that. Like he, he wasn't doing what he was doing after that. So, you know, you might see, you might see K try to go with some length on, on ponds, which wouldn't be a bad move because that gives, that gives Trey a chance to, to go off and guard uh, Mustafa Heron or Figueroa. Those are the other two backcourt guys that they, they kind of bring out, bring out there. So they, they, they have a great perimeter. They don't have much in the way of interior help. But they they play they play small ball and spread you out, and it, it'll be fun. It'll be a fun matchup to watch to watch how this Duke team deals with that because we've seen a couple of teams now who do play that small ball type style, but they've at least been able to offer up some post players. This is such a good rebounding team, and our guards rebound so well. If we can force some bad shots, I think we can run away with this game. Quite honestly, I think St. John's started out the season pretty hot, but they're playing on the road now. They're not going to be in Madison Square. That's usually where they play the best, and. I, I don't I don't doubt that we see we see this team kind of this Duke team kind of walk away with this game after a while. Well, tell me that score then, <laughs> Let's see, let's see. I was kind of stall there for that score because I, I like I almost want to go super big, but I don't because I I just know how good they can be. But you know what? Let's you know they don't they don't match. I don't think they match up as well with us as as the world wants to make it seem. So I'm gonna say Duke's gonna win this one. Another 90 point game for Duke. I think we'll get back on track with us shooting at home. Let's go 95 to 68. All right, 95-68. Yeah, we couldn't have been more wrong uh, against uh, our, our, our points for yeah, against Georgia Tech. <laughs> yeah. uh, just, it just didn't it, nothing nothing went right for, for us in that game other than we won the game. But mm-hmm. I will say that uh, yeah, I'm starting to believe in this uh, noon Saturday game for these kids. It's just uh, it's not uh, it's never been conducive for for high energy. Having said that, we just we did we just did this a week ago. So hopefully that means that we can learn from that experience. If this mm-hmm. uh, team has shown anything, it is that we learn from every experience that we have. And um, I'm going to continue to buy in, but I'm going to go a little bit lower scoring. So hopefully they can prove me wrong yet again. Um, okay. I'm going to go Duke 80 to St. John's 68. Okay. All right. So we both had 68. I like that. I think I think that's about right for them. Now, I, the one, yeah, but that's the, that's the thing. So like the one constant that I can count on with this team is on defense. Yep. And that's another reason why I think we're going to, you know, do big things this year is because when we need a stop, we can continually count on it. And yep. that's something that, you know, whether we shoot the ball two for 21 uh, or go 10 of 19 from three is kind of irrelevant. It, it, you know, this team can get stops, and that means that we have a chance to win. The next game we have is Tuesday night, 7 o'clock, uh, against D.C. is the only fifth thing that is happening Tuesday night. In our country, mm-hmm. BC, Duke, what do you got? BC, BC is an interesting challenge. It'll be at Duke, but that's never mattered to this particular group 
because Kai Bowman, they 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 work off of everything he does, and he's just I I'm I just kind of am in awe every game of what I see from Kai Bowman. The kid gets eight rebounds a game at six one. He's just he's such a phenomenal player, and I think it's it's a shame to see him stuck on such such a bad team and kind of a you know a, a really not going anywhere program at the moment. Jim Christian, God bless him, he's doing what he can with what he has, but. Kai Bowman is just there's I don't this is one of those few games where I feel like not not necessarily the rest of the team is going to be able to step up and do what they need to do to beat Duke because I don't I, I think they I think this might be something similar to what we saw with Georgia Tech where they're going to give us a battle and and Duke's going to have to pull this one out down the stretch a bit because BC is known to do that against some of the better teams but yeah Kai Bowman is going to be the one to keep him in games he hits so many big shots not many teams can stop him and this is one of those few games where I look at everything we offer on defense and I still think Kai Bowman's going to be able to get his but regardless of that, can the rest of the team step up? And and lately they they haven't been. So I I don't think that the rest of the team is going to be able to step up in this case. They'll play off of him and play off his energy early on for sure. But I think Duke wins this one down the stretch. I'm I'm gonna say Duke's got this one. We'll we'll go with an eight. We'll go with an an 88-70 game. I think they'll be able to get 70 against us. They have Jarius Hamilton, who Duke recruited briefly. Duke and UNC both recruited the kid. He's from Charlotte, North Carolina. He's a good player down low. He kind of does. He's a jack of all trades type of guy. Winston Tabs has been a, a good number two behind Kai Bowman, and they do offer a little bit of size with Nick Popovich, six uh, eleven. He, he scores the ball pretty well. He rebounds and defends shots pretty well. So they have an okay squad. They they don't do anything spectacular, but they have they have decent players. So yeah, I, I'll say eighty eight seventy. Yeah, we got a pretty uh, similar score here. I went eighty four sixty six. Okay. I think that uh, you know a Tuesday night game is. It's going to be a, a one that we, you know, show up. It's at home. I think that we have a big test on uh, next Saturday against UVA. Mm-hmm. So I think we're going to want to, you know, make sure that we're we're showing something Tuesday night. Um, so 84-66, very similar. I, 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 Bowman's a great player. He really is. And, there he is. Um, you know, he's he's shot lights on against us in the past. If any UNC players make the the ACC first team list over him, I will be furious. Like there's yeah, there's uh, nobody from there's no other guard outside of what what RJ's doing and maybe Trey at the point guard that I I've seen in the ACC that should be over Kai Bowman on the first team this year. Nobody. He's so good, man. Yeah, no, I mean that's fair. I, I think that uh, you know Cam Johnson is still shooting forty seven percent from deep and he's he's leading their team in scoring. Look, look, he, he can, he can eat Carolina. it. He can eat it. Hate I don't Carol- think Carolina, Carolina, Carolina is, <laughs> as much as uh, anybody here, but they're seven and one. We've always thought I'm playing well. And, you know, as much as it pains me, uh, you know, they got to do squad and he's finally got his head out of his ass and, and he's starting to play Nas a little bit more. And uh, it's only a matter of time before he can eat it too. Nas. I wouldn't be surprised, <laughs> and this is for another podcast, I would not be surprised if Nas takes his first start uh, against Duke in, in a few weeks. But we'll, oh, he's we'll a Zion that. killer, man. Of course he's going to Oh, he's a Zion start. killer. And that's uh, that's where we leave things this week. Either way, fuck UNC. Go Duke. And go Duke. Thank you for tuning in. This has been the Five Point Play Podcast.